Today's uh, part two of our three-part fall vision series, and we're titling it 2020 Hindsight. If we'd only known a certain number of things a year ago, what would we have changed? What would have happened differently? And so last week we reviewed and we refocused our five-year vision plan. And we were able to say humbly, but, but with a lot of enthusiasm, with 2020 Hindsight, we wouldn't have changed anything this past year. But we truly did, we believe, and we are seeing uh, examples of it, and we're seeing confirmation of it, that we discern God's will for our church in our little corner of his kingdom in our neck of the woods. So that's a, a wonderful praise that we can all celebrate of God's faithfulness and of our, of our elders' commitment in seeking the Lord and what he would call us to do. And so we're making really good progress with that. Here we are, one year into a five-year plan, and, and we're being reminded of these uh, goals, but really today I want to take stock of where we are personally, as a church family. How are we doing? How are you doing at home? Some of you are here for the first time, uh, coming on a Sunday. How are you doing coming and being here with us? So today we're going to look at a passage in the Old Testament. It's, a, it's another Old Testament passage, just like last week. It's another Old Testament passage about a battle, just like last week. It's a theme that runs throughout the Old Testament. There's a lot of, of battles throughout the Old Testament, and we are facing our own set of battles, aren't we, and challenges and big decisions. And so I think it would be helpful for us to consider today together, how do we make those big decisions? How do we handle battles and challenges that we're facing? As, I, as I've prayed over the text and consider what the Lord would have me say to you today, as long as I have your, your attention, I think that I can tell you now that there are a few essentials that I think the Lord would have us, at least four, for us as a church family, for your family, for you individually, that we need in fighting what we're facing I see four things that are essential for our souls that are all right out of God's word, out of 1 Samuel 14 that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so if you're taking notes at home or if you just want to check out after I say these things and check back in, that's okay. Well, maybe not, but uh, here, here it is. I, I think that what we need more of, and this could sound very basic, but we need more faith. We need friendship. We need a plan, and we need some grit. We'll define what godly grit looks like. Faith, friendship, a plan, a plan to understand God's will, and grit. That's what I think we need. And I think in hindsight, a year from now, or another three years at the end of this journey together, or four years, at the end of this, this phase of, of the 2020 to 2025 We Are Family plan, we'll look back and say, if we had these things in greater measure of faith and, and friendship, if we really stuck with the plan and we care for one another, we followed the Lord's lead, and we had that sense of tenacity and, and grit that's needed, we will succeed. So here's the setup for 1 Samuel chapter 14. If you're at home, you can open your Bibles. It'll be on the screen in just a moment, not yet. Uh, but here's the setup. Saul is the first king of Israel that we're talking 11th century BC, before Christ. 
And the kingdom is in really bad shape under his failing leadership. Just before this chapter, uh, Saul's army suffered a huge defeat at the hands of the Philistines. And things just went really, really badly, really, really fast against the Philistines, their arch enemies. And Saul's uh, rule, his kingship, is really in question. It's completely a mess. And here, when we pick up chapter 14, Saul is left with 600 men in retreat, back to his old stomping grounds, back home, his hometown of Gibeah. This is a little bit north of of modern-day Jerusalem. So picture 600 men, tired, wiped out, on one side of a hill in, in an encampment. They're on one hillside, and then there's a great valley, and on the other hillside, there's another group of troops. 600 on this side, and on this side, Oh, according to scripture, roughly 30,000 Philistines. We could not overestimate or overstate how much the odds were stacked against Saul and his, and, and his troops in this circumstance. To make matters worse, the territory that the Philistines had captured and conquered uh, throughout the kingdom, and they just kept taking more and more territory. You play the game of risk, you just keep moving those armies from place to place. The more territory that they took, they took all of the natural resources. They took the best of the best. And according to scripture, very smartly, the Philistines took all of their weapons. Don't want to hear anything about Second Amendment rights, please. No Facebook posts. But that's exactly what they did. In fact, they, they took away all their blacksmiths. So anyone who could take a, a plowshare and, and hammer it into a, a weapon was put out of commission. I don't know what these 600 troops had, but I imagine they had what? What do you think? Sticks and stones? Name calling? I'm not sure what they had left. According to scripture, in fact, there were only two weapons left for the entire army. Two weapons. A sword and a spear. And who had the weapons? The king and his prince. That's it. The king, Saul, his son, Jonathan. They're the only ones that are properly armed. It's a pretty dire situation in the midst of this kingdom crumbling. And I see this as, as, a, as an epic story. I mean, can't you picture just what I've just said as a little, as a little pitch to you? Wouldn't that make a huge Hollywood movie? Okay, maybe a Netflix movie because Hollywood's not filming anything, but it would, be, it would be massive. So before I read it, let's have a little fun. Let's consider how would we cast the four main characters in this story? Let's have, we're, we're the casting team. Who would we cast as King Saul? We need someone a little unstable, someone who's, who's kind of losing it. Earlier in life was kind of a hot shot and... and and, and maybe had a little appeal to it to, to everyone. Now it's kind of uh, on the backside of, of that. What, who, who might you think? I, I wrote down some names. I wrote down Walking Phoenix. He's a little off. The Joker. Johnny Depp. He's kind of losing it. Maybe Sean Penn. Lawrence Finchburg would be amazing. That, that he'd bring that Shakespearean, that kind of tragic hero, someone who had all this great... Uh, uh, potential and lost it. What about bad guy? Every, every big epic story needs a bad guy. Who's the bad guy in this story? Who's going to be the leader of the Philistines? It's got to be someone big and scary. So I was thinking maybe Jason Momoa. 
you know, Aquaman, he's pretty big, right? I'm not getting any reaction at home. What do you think? Well, how would you vote? The Rock. The Rock? Okay, here we got a little Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. How about Dolph uh, Logan, uh, Dolph uh, Logren? Is that how you say his name? Draco from Rocky IV, I must break you. No, nothing? I'm hearing crickets in here. Anybody? Do I have to go back a couple generations? Telly Savalas. Tell us, boss, he, he, he'd be pretty good. Okay. Now we need the armor bearer. So we have the king. We've got the bad guy. The armor bearer. Who's the armor bearer? It's got to be a pretty boy. It's got to be a pretty boy. I'm thinking Tom Hollins. You know, Spider-Man, Tom Hollins. Maybe Harry Styles. Timothy Chalamet. With an extra E. Well, who was it? Kevin Hart. <laughs> Okay, we're not, we are not casting Jumanji 3 right now, okay? You guys are like Kevin Hart. And now, who's the star of this epic story? Who's the star? What's the character's name? Who's the hero of the story going to be? We haven't read it yet. Who do you think? Jonathan's the star. Jonathan, his name means gift from God. And there's only one actor I can think of who needs no introduction. I can only picture Michael B. Jordan playing that role. Do you remember from Black Panther, that guy... Oh, man, he has, can I say sex appeal? He ha, he's like, he would draw your attention. He's a leader. He's tough. Man, definitely Michael B. Jordan. Okay, so that's just for fun, just to kind of stir your imagination. And maybe uh, some people are actually tuning in now, like, oh, wait, what, what are we talking about? We're we talking about Jumanji 3? No, we're talking about history recorded in God's holy inspired word. So with the kidding aside, let's now turn our attention to God's word. Chapter 14, verse 1. One day, Michael, I mean Jordan, son of Samuel, uh, son of Saul, why do I get these right, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. So here we have Jonathan. He's he's a tough, battle-tested prince, and he has his young armor bearer. The armor bearer would have been assigned to him. It's a little ironic that Jonathan has an armor bearer because, as I mentioned to you, there are only two weapons in the entire camp. This guy needs someone. He's a prince, right? He needs someone to carry his stuff, and he's the only one with stuff to carry. And he says, hey, let's go sneak over. This isn't really a question. It's sort of this is what we're going to do. Let's sneak over to the other camp and check out the enemy outpost. You you know the one, the one with that high defensive position? (laughs) Let's go check it out. Now, what would you expect from someone like Jonathan to do? He's a warrior. He's called to a mission that he believes in, to defend the kingdom, to push back the enemy of God's people. Of course, he's going to keep pressing in to take the battle to the enemy. Now, why doesn't he tell his dad? Why do you think? That's right, because daddy would say, no, don't go. No, Saul is playing it safe. You see, previously, as I mentioned, Saul did something very foolish, faced with a huge challenge and the the whole army in, in disarray. They had been decimated and he's freaking out and he did not follow the instruction of God's prophet Samuel to wait for Samuel to come. Instead, he calls for a burnt offering to be given to ask for God's blessing, not following God's man on the scene. And things got went from bad to worse because with that 
false offering, Samuel has now said to Saul, your kingdom is going to fall. You will no longer be the king. The anointment, the, the anointing that God has placed on you will move to another. Who's going to be that new king eventually? David, that's right. Verse 2 says, Saul was staying on the outskirts of, of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. Um, Migron with him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing the ephod. He was the son of Ichabob's brother, uh, Ahitub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. And no one was aware that Jonathan had left. Notice this interesting detail about where Saul is sitting. He's sitting under a pomegranate tree. And I, had, I was like, well, what, why that little detail there? Well, pomegranates were, were rare and expensive. And so, so you would think, naturally, the king would look for the most luxurious place to kick back and wait this out. I just thought that was a wonderful, subtle little detail. He's got 600 men with him. How's morale? No bueno. Who else is with him? A list of names, but who are these guys? These guys are crooks and they're culprits. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, the Lord God takes the life of Eli's sons for corruption in the priesthood. Men who had been given this great authority and responsibility had become corrupt, and the Lord took them away. These knuckleheads are, are Eli's great-grandsons. The family line includes, in this note, Ichabod. That's, don't name your child Ichabod just if you're looking for a Bible name. Just note to self, millennials, probably not a name you want to go with because it means the glory has departed. That's what the name means. The glory has departed. And doesn't that really sum up the scene very quickly? Here's Saul sitting in, in some measure of luxury, the 600 men around him who are losing faith in their leader and in the cause. And his closest advisors have no glory, no faith, no belief in Yahweh and the mission. Verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sina. One cliff stood to the north toward uh, Michmash and the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. So imagine they, they've hiked down a, a long ways. Imagine maybe you're in, I don't know, you're, you're, you're up in North Bend. You've made your way down into the valley. I, I, you can come up with your own analogy, but they must be a little bit tired here. And up ahead, visibly located, is this outpost, which is, which is tactically in a, a superior position. And it would have been manned by... Real soldiers, everyday soldiers, not just uh, those that have been recruited uh, along the ways from villages. No, these would have bona fide killers up there. In modern warfare, about 5 to 10% of soldiers actually see combat, and the other uh, 90, 95% of, of our armed forces are there to support the tip of the spear. This is the tip of the spear. This outpost is manned by men who are ready to kill. And Jonathan says, let's go check it out. And what does he refer to them as? Those uncircumcised men. It's a little knock on their nationality and their religion. He's making sure that his armor bearer knows. He's reminding himself 
They are outside of the covenant of Yahweh, the one true God. That's who, why we're here. That's who we're serving. Now notice what he says next. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Pause. Okay, listen to that again, these words. Tell me if this inspires a lot of confidence in you. If, if your captain says, let's walk, let's march into this meat grinder, and this is the speech that your captain's going to give you. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps. And I'm, if, if I'm Timothy Chalamet, if I'm, if I'm the armor, I'm like, what? You mean you're not confident? You're not sure? Perhaps. You don't know what's going to happen. I'm out here risking my life. I'm sticking my neck out for you. And you're saying, perhaps, maybe it will work out. Are you nuts? And if we could hit pause for a moment and, and just sit down with Jonathan and ask about his, mo- his motivation. What, what's motivating you, Jonathan? Like, why are you doing these things? Why do we as a church do the things that we're doing? Why do you as a, as a family of God or as an individual, why do you do what you do? Sometimes we don't pause enough to consider where we're headed or what we're doing. Jonathan, what are you up to? What's motivating you? Not much confidence being built up here. Maybe God will help. But notice the next thing he says, and this changes the outlook. He says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Okay, now we're on to something. This changes what he said before. This is faith. It's humble Faith, no, I don't know for, for certain what God's going to do, but I know this, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by few or by many. That's conviction, folks. Conviction. What sounded like uncertainty is just humility. We have a mission that we're on together, that we're heading forward into this future, and we don't know how things are going to turn out. We don't know if we'll be shut down again, but we are headed in the direction of the Lord God by faith. And we need to be convinced of that. And we need to express that to ourselves, to one another, to the reflection in the mirror every day, and to those that we have influence. Those Philistines here are the enemy of God's people. Jonathan has a mission. Nothing is going to hinder his mission. He's saying nothing can stop our God. Do you believe that today? Amen? They're saying amen here. How about at home? Do you believe that today, that nothing can stop our God? He has no idea how many men are up there. But if God is for us, what's Scripture say? Who can stand against us? And God can win this battle by as few as he likes and chooses. I love that he says this. I love this. Whether by many or by few, it doesn't matter. Jonathan knows if it's God's will, it's going to happen. And so, MVC, I want to say to you today, we need this kind of faith, this kind of conviction, especially in the midst of the battles, the life challenges, the hardships that you are facing at home, that we're all facing here in this room. We need more faith, dear ones. And we need to be more like Jonathan, not like Saul. We can't hunker down and self-medicate and and just stuff our mouths and, and eat pomegranates, because God has work for us to do. Okay, 
I was going to save the preaching towards the end, but now I'm all worked up in a lather. Verse 7, one of my most favorite verses in the entire Bible. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. Wow. This unnamed armor bearer, this young man selected out of a crowd to carry the prince's weapons. Look at the expression of friendship. This is what a friend looks like right here. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15, 13. We need faith, but friends, we need friends. Friends who will be there for us. When you're down in trouble, yeah, James Taylor, yeah, I'm down in trouble, and you need a helping hand, yeah, I need two hands. Who will you call out to? You see, we talk about being family as a church, and that's more evident today than ever. And that there's sort of a corporate sense of that, which is very, very true. But it, it's not just something that you pawn off on the rest of the group. It's what you individually are choosing today and each day. How will you be a friend to someone in our church community? How will you really stand in the gap, come alongside, and to say to someone, I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you, we are in this together. That's what we need. Saturday, the elders gathered for the first time, and gosh, what? Ben Jones, what's it been? Six months? It's been up there, I can't even see the, the smoke. See elders out here. Stoney, how long has it been? Six months since we met last? At least six months. We've been missing each other. And we sat right out here to pray together, to share with one another, to share tears, to go around this entire facility in every room and to pray. Todd Goldsmith, Bob, well, you'll like this. He went into the janitorial room. He said, I'm going to pray for those that clean this facility. I want to just pray God's blessing over them. And then our elders wrote cards to all of our staff. Spoiler alert, they're in your mailbox of staff. And all of our preschool teachers, just to show love and care and concern. Friends, don't take it for granted. Just a small act of kindness and love, reaching out to someone in need. Now more than ever, it can go such a long way. We're just not wired, especially, maybe it's kind of a PNW sort of thing to say that we need help. Don't wait to be asked. We need friends. Verse 8, Jonathan said, come on, come on then. We will cross over toward them and let them see us. Verse 9, if they say to us, Wait there until we come to you. We will stay where we are and not go up to them. Verse 10, but if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. Now catch this. Yes, Jonathan's super motivated. Yes, he's kind of worked up in a lather, or at least I'm worked up in a lather. But he's not foolish. He's got a plan. MVC has a plan, praise God, the plan that is unfolding and is on time. In this battle, folks, listen, if you're taking notes, listen at home, you need a plan. It's been seven months. At what point will you make a plan and look for signs? Let me ask you this question. Are there signs right now in your life that you are slipping into bad habits? Losing track of what day it is? Anybody can relate to that? 
staring at screens for hours on end, skipping meals or overeating or over-caffeinating? Let me ask you this. You, you don't have a commute anymore to work or to school. What are you doing with that extra hour in your jammies? How productive is that time? I mean, gosh, if I only had that extra commute time, all the things I would do. Well, you're not commuting anywhere. What are you filling that time with? These are signs of unhealthy COVID-related habits. Signs of things that need to be quarantined. We need to wash our hands of some of those things. Think about right now, what's something you need to say, I need a plan to stop doing this and start doing that. These are things that I want you to consider, we need to consider as a church family. It's time to make a plan and take advantage of this time to create new habits. David Miles just announced small groups starting. Now more than ever, We need to be in community. Why? Because we need friends. Why? Because we need more faith to see how they're related. Now, Jonathan's plan sounds a little wild, doesn't he? We're going to wait here, and if they say we'll come down to you, well, then run, because God's not with us. Like, just turn and run. But but if they say come up to us, very, very dangerous, we're going to climb up there, and we'll know that God has given them over. Now, that sounds like a crazy plan, but that's the context that he finds himself in. I want you, friends to consider what is the plan God has for you? And what signs does he have of it? More than a sign, what assignments does he have for you? With our Say Yes campaign, there's an opportunity to volunteer and serve in different ways. Might God be signaling to you with that extra time, here's a way you can love other people in our community. Okay, so they're about to go up that cliff with one weapon, right? Verse 11 So both of them show themselves to the Philistine outposts. Look, said Jason Momoa, I mean the Philistines. The Hebrews are crawling out of their holes where they've been hiding, which is true. They actually literally were hiding in holes. Verse 12, the men of the outposts shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan turned to his armor bearer and said, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Notice, friends, Jonathan isn't in this battle for his own glory, like his father. He's in it for the glory of God. If you have faith and Christian friendship and a plan, you will grow. That's just the way it works. And the Holy Spirit will give you a sign. He will give you the plan and confirm that in your life. And if you need help with that, if you need help to figure out what that next step is, the next environment is coming back, we have train counselors to come alongside you to answer questions to give you some helpful hints of where to head next. Verse 13. So Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet. Must be exhausting. What is that scene in, in um, Princess Bride? Sorry, my mind went sideways there. Using his hands and feet, he climbs up with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half acre. Wow. So you climb this cliff, you're exhausted, you have one weapon, he takes out the first guy, that guy falls, the armor bearer now is no longer a servant. He picks up that fallen uh, enemy's weapon and proceeds in the attack. The story goes on to say that Israel turned the tide, and defeated the enemy. What did Jonathan and the armor-bearer have 
to win that day. They had faith, they had friendship, they had a plan, and the fourth thing, they had grit. To have godly grit means to have courage. It's to show strength in Christ-like character, love and kindness and goodness and and self-control and bearing fruit in that. Now, we don't see grit in the Bible. The word doesn't show up, but in the Bible, the term is steadfastness and endurance. And that's found throughout Scripture. We live in a fallen world where we are facing all kinds of challenges. And my friends, you and I need grit. Christians with godly grit don't worry about losing heart because they don't lose heart. They fix their eyes on Jesus for the long haul, no matter what challenges come their way. And I see this as a church family, as a community of faith. For us individually, this has kind of been my prayer. These themes kind of can be solidified around this idea that we need more grit. We need to stick with it. Grit is the ability to persevere in pursuing a future goal over a long period of time. It means having stamina, not just for a month, not just for a semester of school and then everything better go back to the way it's always always been. No, further and longer, even in the midst of really difficult reality. Grit is a significant indicator of success in the world, but it's also essential for thriving in our Christian faith. If we want to grow in our Christian faith, we need to cultivate godly grit. So I want to ask you some questions about that, folks, about your spiritual health in this, your practices that you're incorporating into your life. So let me ask you, where are you putting your attention? What goals are you setting So much is being asked of you, so much right now. I know how hard it is. I heard just yesterday the incredible pressure that our teachers are under, our school system is under, our preschool teachers are under. The tremendous pressure on our our police and firefighters across the West are being strained and pulled in so many different directions. Are people in the streets crying out for help and justice? Listen, my friends, we need to pray, God, give me grit, perseverance, to set a goal and to keep moving forward, to stay strong in uncertain and fearful times, to stay confident and committed and optimistic to say, I'm with you, and you're with me, and we're going to face this challenge together. So Lord God, I pray that you would would bring this into our lives. Faith, and and at least one solid friend, a clear sense of your plan for my life, oh God, and, and the tenacity to stick with it. The battle won't be won by our own strength, Jonathan knew that. We need to know that too. The strength and power comes from the living God. It will only be four or five years from now that in hindsight we'll look back and we'll see how all these plans sorted out for our church and our community and our outreach and mission and care for people in need in our community. I really think it will be a measure of our faith, our relationships with one another, our relationship with our wider community, the plans that we have, and that sense of sticking with it that we'll see it succeed.
So in conclusion, don't normally end a speech that way, but this is a sermon. Let me tell you, I want to make sure we're paying attention. Don't be like Saul. Don't play it safe. Don't hunker down. Be Jonathan. Have faith. Link arms. Make a plan and stick with it. That's what our family here at the church is doing. That's what we want to help you do as well. Because the reality is, folks, we are outnumbered. Our resources are limited. We are facing a well-positioned and well-armed enemy who loves that we are in disarray and laughs when we fight with one another, call each other names, limit our exposure to one another socially. He's laughing now in our weakness, in our disarray, and our division. The devil seeks to weaken your faith, shrink your circle of friends, tear you apart from other people, sideline your mission so you care only for yourself and not those in need, and to make you just slow down and stop completely. We need to do the opposite. We need to encourage one another, MVC. We need to say, I'm with you, I'm for you, I'm not leaving you. I'm not leaving this mission. I believe in it. I care for you. What can I do to help? And we need to rely on Jesus. I said, who's the hero of this story? And we said it was Jonathan, but the hero of the story, the hero of every epic story, the hero of scripture, the hero of our life is the Lord Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, our truest friend, the one who calls us to a plan of new life, and the one who sustains us. Listen to the comparison between Jonathan and Jesus. It just pops off the page. John, Jonathan left his father without telling him, but Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven with a plan already put in place between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jonathan's name means gift from God. What gift is greater than the gift God has given in his own Son, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8.32. Jonathan had a friend at his side. Jesus had no friends by his side. Jonathan waited for a sign. In Luke 2.12, the angel said, this will be a sign for you. You will find a child, a little powerless child in a barn feeding trough. Jonathan wielded that one weapon, the Son of God, when he was in the wilderness facing down the devil, he used the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Jonathan climbed a hill, Jesus climbed Calvary. And while Jonathan had a victory that day, that one day, that one battle, Jesus won the victory for all time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See Jesus in all this. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We pray, Lord, in the midst of the hardship and challenges that we're facing, the difficult choices that we have to make, Lord God, the hardship and struggle, the scary things we see, Lord God, the, the forest fires that are, are raging, the tumult of, of an election year, the worry of our economy on the brink and so many people losing their jobs, unable to afford where they live, unable to put food on the table. Oh, God, we want to look to you the author and perfecter of our faith, our dearest friend, the one who has a plan for our life. Sustain us, Lord God, for the season ahead.
In Jesus' name, bring that blessing, Lord, now. Amen.